Hi, I'm John Lavelle, and you're listening to the Buffalo Legal Podcast. And I am here with Joshua Ramos, an attorney from Ramos and Ramos, and Charles Glander from Avant Realty. How are you guys doing? Doing well today there, John. Nice to see you again. It's nice to be seen. Charles? I always like seeing you, John. I always like seeing you, Charles. You always bring a ray of sunshine to my life. Oh, I appreciate you, John. Yeah, so the, so Charles is a specialist when it comes to real estate, and so we brought him in, and we're going to be talking some real estate things. So let's uh, let's start this off here. Homeowners associations, man, I'm going to tell you right now, I think they're horrible. I think the homeowners associations are horrible. But you're going to have to tell me more about it because I've never lived in one. Uh, there's many different homeowners associations in Western New York, and it all depends on what you pay monthly, obviously. Um, but I have a listing right now that is in an HOA. The annual fee off the top of my head is like $430 just for the year. And all that covers really is like general landscaping upkeep, and they have a community pool, and there's a tennis ball or a tennis court. Um, they don't have too many restrictions. The restrictions are you can't put a fence up and you can't put an in-ground pool in your backyard. You can't even put an above-ground pool in your backyard. Other than that, there's not too many restrictions. Um, you know, you could swap your windows out, paint the outside of your house as long as it's not an ugly mustard yellow. Um, now, can... are most HOAs like that? No, not at all. Um, there's more strict ones. Um, there's not a ton of HOAs in western New York. Most of the ones that I see are... A lot of the patio homes, and they do that to, to categorize them different so the taxes are a little bit cheaper. Um, but the ones that I see in the condominiums that are 250 a month, 280 a month, I've seen as high as 325 a month, come with a lot of amenities. Like the one condo I sold last year had three saltwater pools, three tennis courts, a pickleball court, a community center. Um, they had a lot to choose, but you, it's a condo. You can't do much with it. You know, you can't paint the outside. You can't paint your, your balcony a different color without their permission. You can't finish it or enclose it without their permission. Um, you can't run a, a in-unit washer and dryer. They have the coin-op ones in the basement. Um, but really with those, it's, it all depends on what you as a buyer are really looking for. It's low maintenance. You don't have to mow any lawns. You don't have to shovel any sidewalks it takes care of all that sometimes. but that's why there's some benefits to it as well because you know some of these homeowners whether they're millennials uh boomers or retirees they're um you know some people just don't want to deal with that like as a homeowner you got to deal with all these problems all the time from roofs going bad to cutting your lawn every week uh you know, some people don't want to do that. You know, you work your job nine to five, whatever it is, and you want to come home. So there is some like pretty big benefits to it. But on the same side, a guy like Charles and me, we want to do our own stuff. You know, we want to be free to mess around with our house as we see fit. And, you know, so with the benefit comes obviously some negatives. Um, but that negatives for us is, might not be a negative for one of Charles's buyers. So, hey, Charles, why, why have a homeowners association? Uh, it kind of keeps the homeowners in check. Um, you know, you can't paint the outside of your house in obscene color. You know, you can't put anything that's necessarily offensive in your garden. Um, the the general upkeep, um, you know, taking care of the common areas and then having access to something like a pool that you don't have to maintain or a basketball court that you don't have to maintain. Um, I'd say those are the biggest benefits of, of an HOA, and a lot of people like that. 
And quite frankly, one of the reasons why they make homeowners associations is what you mentioned earlier is a tax consequence of it. Um, when they do the assessment of the condo association, they're not assessing the individual, they're assessing uh, the large portion. And then they're splitting it up on everyone's prorated share. So as opposed to your house, you have a nice three bedroom, two bath, valued at 270, 350, you're paying taxes on that 270, 350, but you do it in a condo association, it ends up being probably taxed at around half that because it's being spread amongst the entire development. This makes the project a little more marketable to some people who don't want to pay high taxes because in New York we have some of the highest taxes there are. Uh, but that's one of the reasons why or another benefit is your taxes end up being a little bit lower and you get a little bit more size of a house. Got it. Huh. Interesting. Um, so is this just a way for the developer to make money? Uh, is our homeowners associations worth it? I mean, our, our world is driven by money, so of course it's a it's a way for some some. De- there's a lot of large developers in Western New York that do make a good amount of money off their HOA fee. Um, yeah, they're charging a man like if they stay on as managers of the HOA, they charge a management fee. Uh, but you, most of the HOAs that've been around there for a while, they're self-run and all the money stays into the pot, and then you have a couple of uh, residents who are managing that money and are the treasurer. But the developers are choosing that because they might think that's going to be the most profitable at the time of the sale. Like, it's going to be easier to do a condo association um, because, you know, heck, the city won't take the road. You know, because within you get this 88-acre parcel of land, you have to put some roadways in there, and you talk to the town. They say, yeah, you could build that, but we're not going to take ownership of the road. So you have to do a condo association to have fees coming in to pay for the road. And it's really what could they do to maximize up front because they don't, most of them aren't in the business of long term management. They want to, they manage up front to transition into once they have the 70, 80 owners in there to self management. But it's really what can they do at that time when they develop it. And some towns like Orchard Park, or, they prefer not to take on the cost of a new road. Hmm. So let's talk about situations where, um, can most homeowners associations raise fees without even asking it or bringing it to a person's attention? I mean, I could give you a specific example. Um, my father owns a couple condos in Florida, and one of his condos that he owns, uh, there were a mass amount of people not paying their, their fees. And so they assessed the a difference to the people who were paying. So this was probably three or four years ago. My, my dad was paying... You know, let's just say $450 a month in homeowners association fees. It went up to $730, and basically all they did was send him a letter saying, hey, we're raising it because of X. And he, you know, he contacted a lawyer and talked to them about it, and there was no consequence that he could yeah. take the homeowners association, you know, to court and, and fight that. Um, I believe recently it went back down to higher than what he was paying before, but, you know, in the $500 range. So they made up what they needed to make up. But a lot of times they do those special assessments, like if you live in a building with an elevator in it and they have to put a new $200,000 elevator in it, then they pay an extra $180 a month for five years. You know, it's all it's all pre-written and it's all given to the owner up front. Um, that is, I would say that is one of the biggest cons of being in, in, in an HOA. 
Yeah, they could raise your fees at any time. They just have to do a board meeting, you know, and if you want to fight it, you have to get on the board. And they'll have a meeting. Sometimes they allow everyone to speak. But if the board votes to raise the fees or do an assessment, you know, like fees are your monthly dues or yearly dues. You know what they are. And then if they have some large expense, like a lot of these communities have pools. And you know what? We need to regunite the entire pool because the concrete's going bad. That's 50000 So we'll just hit everyone with a $1,000 assessment to pay for it. And as long as the board approves it with a vote, it could happen at any time. So that is a, another downside of it. So we kind of talked about HOAs being a good way for somebody who's not interested in mowing their lawn or trimming their shrubs or doing upkeep on some of their property um, to be able to own a house and you know, not have to do that thing. Um, but that brings me to uh, which is, which is uh, better, owning or renting? I mean, because is the HOA kind of like a, a renting plus ownership kind of, you know, because you kind of get somebody to take care of your stuff. Almost, because you, yeah, you don't own the common areas. You know, you don't own the roof, you don't own the siding, you don't own the hallway, you just own the interior of that condo. Um, I mean, I guess renting versus, you know, are we discussing actually renting a house or buying a house at this time? I'm always going to go with buying a house. You well, know? yeah, you get a commission. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but really, it's the way homes are gaining equity nowadays, you know, I can't tell you whether or not it's going to be beneficial a year from now to purchase or to rent. But I can tell you right now it's beneficial to purchase. You know, I, I sold a house in Camor, New York, uh, almost two years ago for $200,000. That today is worth 230000 They needed a place to live. It, they would have been renting either way. Uh, they've knocked their mortgage payments down a little bit, and they gained a lot of equity in their home. Is that going to change next year or two years from now? I'm not 100% sure, but right now it looks like a good investment. I've sold a lot of my clients' homes for way more money that they, that they paid for them two, three, four, five years ago. So the equity that they're gaining on homes right now is, is through the roof. And that's being reflected to renters because the cost of housing is going up, taxes are going up. So now the homeowners who own the rental properties have to raise your rent either way. So you're paying for it regardless. So now, what do you feel is more common, like, currently right now, buying a home or renting? Oh, it's such a solid mix. Um, I deal with both, pretty much. I mean, we own a small property management company. We, we own the brokerage. Um, really, it's, it's, it's a solid 50-50. Um, interest rates last year were really low. There were a lot of buyers, and there wasn't a lot of inventory. Interest rates went up this year, and there's still a lot of buyers, and there's even less inventory than there was last year. Hmm. Hmm. Now let's throw in the, let's throw in something else here. Now what about building? Like, do you know? Uh, do you you know always got to throw the curveballs in. I don't you know. know. I like curveballs. I love a good curveball. So so building. I mean, what are we looking at now? I mean, the price of wood has gone up. Are are people still building homes? They are. Um, I just did a contract with one of my clients with uh, Ryan Homes. Um, it's a beautiful build. Um, it looks really nice. Uh, we're getting all the paperwork together now. It's about a 10-month plan or so. It'll probably go 11 or 12 months. Or 14. Probably with the experience at, with, with the supply chain right now. Um, but it's, it's costing a pretty penny. Um, I, I'm seeing these new builds go up really fast. 
Um, I'm seeing the materials that they're using nowadays. I, I wouldn't put it up to the test of the older materials of the 1960s, 70s, 80s, even 90s home, the type of plywood they were using. Um, I'm worried about the new builds that are going up structurally 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now. Um, so I, I, it sounds weird for a realtor to say that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily against new builds. They don't gain equity in the first two years that you have them. It's actually kind of like buying a car. They lose equity in the first two years that you have them. Um, but as long as you plan on holding it for more than two years, it's okay. I just don't know how these new builds are going to hold up. 20 years from now, 25 and, years from now. And the issue is you're paying just a little bit of a premium on it, too, because when you buy a house, you're buying a house that 12 other people lived in, you know, for, for decades. And when you build a house, you're getting all brand new countertops. Everything is brand new. So you're paying that little bit of a premium. So if we talk about, and I'm not the real estate expert, but, you know, our office doing 2,000 transactions a year, we tend to pick up a thing or two. You know, like you look at a single or um, a, a single ranch out in Grand Island, you're paying up two ten a square foot. Then you put it on a new build, price goes up maybe a ten percent premium on it, where you're paying two thirty a square foot. So you're paying just a little bit more, but you're also getting a brand new home that no one ever messed with before. And there was a benefit to it because who doesn't love brand new countertops? Who doesn't love a brand new backsplash? You know, it is a little bit nicer look to go into something that's brand new, up-to-date, modern, but you have to pay a little bit more about more on it, especially with the construction costs going up, labor costs is increasing, um, now gas prices are through the roof, which affects the materials you're buying. Um, you know, so everything's gone up. I think uh, two years ago, a two-by-four, you're paying under $3 for it. At one point during the pandemic, we were paying seven fifty, eight dollars a two by four. Now it's down to like four dollars, give or take, but it's still up. You know, we're still at fifty percent, hundred percent of what it costed for some of these items. Uh, you know, a thousand square feet of electrical used to be through two hundred bucks, and now you're paying about a thousand for it. So the cost of the build has gone up, which is hence the premium too. Wow. So now, first time home buyer, what are what are what do they need to know to even get started? Um, I, I was lucky enough, like, oh, man, when we bought our first home, I'm old. So it was uh, 16 years ago, and uh, we were lucky enough to have a, a realtor or real estate professional walk us through everything. So, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. So what would you recommend is, like, the first thing that someone should do when looking to buy a home? Well, I'd say call your agent and see as many homes as possible before even seeing if you're qualified. Right? Oh, yeah, that's great, Josh. <laughs> we love that. Do you have now, a pre-qualification letter? I know, don't worry. I'm good. So I, I have a real – I have a hard time – someone calls me. I've never met them before, and they're like, what do I need to do? I have a hard time telling them what they need to do on their phone – over the phone. Uh, because they don't know who I am. You know, I haven't met them in person. They haven't gotten a feel for me. It, I, I feel like I'm a very trustworthy person. I've ripped houses apart. I've ripped houses apart. I've rebuilt them myself. I, I know what I'm doing when it comes to selling a house and constructing a house. So I like to sit down with them uh, and go over what I call a buyer consult and just make sure I set the precedent for them. Now, it, it's a major faux pas for listing agents to allow a buyer's agent with a non-pre-qualified buyer to show the home. Um, a lot of people don't want to get pre-qualified. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a ding on your credit score. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they just want to see what's out there before they actually get pre-qualified. However, we're asking a seller of a house who may have 
a dog, a newborn baby, um, you know, something along those lines to exit their house, allow us to look at it for 30 minutes. And with this whole COVID thing, you know, touch things while we're in the house. We, we possibly came in contact with someone who was contaminated, whatever the case may be. And then we allow them to go back into their house and we don't even have the idea that the buyer is qualified to purchase the house. Right. So I like to do that. I like to do the buyer consult. I'll show them like a vacant house maybe so I'm not doing that to get the, get the, get a feeler for them, see what they're looking for. Um, and then we're already beginning the pre-approval process at that point. I have them talking to one of my loan officers, uh, getting their pay stubs over, getting their tax returns over, uh, figuring out how much they could buy, whether or not they have enough money in the bank to not get concessions. Because in the market we're in, you're just simply not getting concessions right now. You know, um, So setting the precedent for the buyer before even looking at houses is huge because a lot of them don't realize that they can't buy a house right now. So... Let's let's go rewind a little bit. Concessions, I had to get those. That was back 16 years ago. Can you explain to everybody what what concessions are? Yeah, I, I have got I got someone concessions recently, which I was blown away. I was able to do it. Um, but concessions are basically when you you're asking the seller to pay a portion of your closing cost. So when you pay, let's use a nice round number, two hundred thousand dollars for a house. You're, and you're coming to the, you're coming to the table with a bank letter, and the bank's going to be funding it. You're actually paying, let's just say, two hundred and ten thousand dollars for that house because there's loan origination fees. You're putting a year's worth of taxes in escrow. You're putting a year's worth of insurance in escrow. So you got to bring all of that to the table, and close on the house. Um, but really, people don't realize that they're like, oh, with an FHA loan, I only have to put three and a half percent down. No, you gotta you gotta put some closing costs on top of that. So three years ago, two years ago, probably not two years ago, I had no problem getting people concessions. A buyer came to me, he's like, hey, I got 10 grand. I'm like, cool, you need 16 grand to buy this house after what, our loan, what their loan officer tells me. And we'll say, okay, we need $6,000 back at the closing table. And the seller would basically give that to the buyer so that they can close. Yeah, no, I remember that. I remember, um, you know, saying, thinking I had this, you know, great down payment. And then they're like, oh, yeah, by the way. You need another 10 grand. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the, the banks actually are the ones that created concessions. And is one what it is is the bank finances, depending on the loan. FHA could be 97 and a half. And then the conventional, you could do uh, 5% down, 10%, 20% or more. They have 3% down, too. Do they? Yeah, look at you. Um, so what they did is, because they know there's all these closing costs and expenses, they created concessions saying, hey, as long as the home appraises for a sale price, we'll fund, let's say, 96.5%. So if we add on another ten grand in sale cost, or like let's add ten grand to the price, we'll finance $9,650. And then what he's going to do, the seller is going to give you a $10,000 concession. So basically, you're adding ten grand onto the purchase price, and you're increasing the loan based off that sale amount. So it's another ninety six five the bank's giving you, and the seller's giving it back. So if you're selling a home for two hundred and that's what you want, well, let's increase it to two ten, and I'll give you a ten thousand dollar concession. It's for the seller. The way to look at it is that it's it's fictitious. You're just helping the guy close, the, helping this family uh, purchase the house by the bank fi- funding. Another nine thousand dollars or so. So why why are concessions down now? 
Because uh, we're in a we're in a major seller's market. There's I listed a house mon- uh, last week Monday. We had offers due this Monday on it. We had fourteen offers on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, four of them were cash. You know, so we the the downside with concessions, just like Josh said, was that the house is listed for two hundred grand. There's a reason why it's listed for two hundred grand because that's what it's comping in in the neighborhood. So it's a two hundred thousand dollar house generally. Um, when you're adding $10,000 on top of the sale price and asking the seller to give that back to you at the closing table, the house now has to appraise for $210,000. The bank has a say in that. So that's a risk that the seller takes. Homes are appraising. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not, not going to say that they're not. You know, our, our, our bank's twisting it a little bit to make it happen, maybe. Um, but prices have only gone up in the past four or five years. I've watched them skyrocket. So... When someone pays cash, I sold a house in Lockport for $350,000 cash. We had a $362,000 finance offer on it. Sorry, it was $355,000 cash. Um, we had a $362,000 conventional offer. The highest comp in the neighborhood was $330,000. So, but that's why, so the concessions, you know, we're talking about strength of the offer. And that one, it was three fifty cash versus three sixty financed. And concessions mean it's not as strong because you don't have as much money in the bank. Mm. You know, you would you like, what is it, bird in the hand versus two in the bush? Yeah. You know, so now you have a spire coming in. Hey, I need, I need 10 grand in help to close versus someone else coming in who doesn't need the concession because they have more assets there. So more likely when you get down to the closing table, who's going to get to clear to close? The person that doesn't need the help. Yeah. yeah. So let's put it bluntly, is cash king? Cash is always king. Um, but as long if I have a really high finance offer that's higher than all cash offers and I can pull up comparables and confidently say that this house is going to comp into an appraiser, then that's up to my seller to accept that. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with the 362 conventional offer is we are taking a risk at $32,000. And like the highest comp we have is three hundred and thirty. But since we closed on that $355,000 house cash, that is now a new comparable in the neighborhood. So everyone else's houses just went up a little bit. It's reset in the market every time someone buys. With yeah. cash. It helps reset it. It makes everyone's house worth more money. Dang. I'm going to need some people to come into my neighborhood. That'd be awesome. Josh, you want to come <laughs> into my neighborhood? No, you're too cool for me, John. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he'll bring your property value down. Oh. So, <laughs> so let's see here. So the housing market, looking forwards, like how's how are we looking? Is it still like like super tight sellers market or? Yeah, it's tighter than it was last year. Um, what's the average uh, for the average home? What what's it staying on the market for now? Like how many days is it listed? At, like from the day you list it to it goes under contract, how many days? Uh, I haven't looked up that number recently, but I am not even necessarily worried about that number because I, I set a deadline on my listings, and they set, my deadline's usually six to seven days, and that's when it sells with multiple offers. Because nice. we listed that, the, the house I listed in Lockport was recently, it was 135000 Fair market value all day. Smaller house on a smaller lot. That's what it was worth. Was um, that on Walnut Street? Yes, sir. Yeah, that was good. Good looking. It's a nice one, man. They did great. New flooring, beautiful kitchen, nicely updated bathroom. You know, new carpet. They put a nice coat of paint on it right before listing it. It was a cute house. It really was. Um, we had a lot of interest on it because it was a cute house. It, it went well above asking price. Cash offers again. We we have a lot of people coming in from New York City that got very deep pockets that have no problem spending. Then New York 100, City, one hundred and sixty to eighty thousand dollars on a house in the city of Lockport. You know, mm. it's something we're not used to. Yeah, no, we're not. Yeah. 
not. But that's good for Lockport, right? It's great. It's great for everywhere because yeah. it's happening everywhere. You yeah. Know? No, that's 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 good. That's good. So, well, I mean, do you see the market remaining a seller's market? Like, how long? I'm. I'll get on my crystal ball on this one. All right. Um, I'm not sure, man. I mean, I love to predict things, and and I, I love being wrong if it ends up being positive. But interest rates go. You know, there's there's rumors circulating because we're at over four percent for interest rates now for mortgages. They were they were un, almost under three percent last year. So they're saying we could possibly be at six percent by this time next year. That's going to affect a lot of things. Um, there was a, a moratorium on on evictions as well as foreclosures up until January fifteenth. Yeah. So January fifteenth, they released that. There's going to be a slew of foreclosures in the next six months to a year. That's going to help get some more property in the market. It's going to create more inventory. It's going to give people more choices. Right now, there's ten people bidding on one house, and, and then now there's going to be ten people bidding on ten houses when these foreclosures come to the market. And and one of the nice things. Um, not nice things, but with the interest rates being so low, what that essentially meant, you could borrow more money and purchase a more expensive house because your payment could be higher, you know, like you could buy more. Um, but when the interest rates increase, all of a sudden that mortgage payment gets more heavy on the interest side, and then your purchase power goes down. So it reduces what people are able to buy. You know, they say, hey, I could spend $1,000 a month, principal and interest, but with the interest now, as opposed, you know, instead of buying a two hundred dollar a month in interest, I'm paying four hundred dollars a month in interest. That's a forty thousand dollar difference in what they could buy when the interest goes up two hundred bucks. So when the interest rate goes up, it decreases the amount of sellers on the market at certain price ranges too. Correct. So all right, here here's gonna be here's here's one a doozy. Here's a doozy. I like a doozy. All right, is there is there a better time to list your property? in the year or are all times good every realtor says all times are good i know because they, they want you to sign the listing contract today however um abc man abc always um, be closing i have a very strong standpoint on that uh i always tell my clients don't list in december there's just less buyers uh, i thought we were in a market shift december mid-january because it slowed down a lot and then all of a sudden, it picked back up like, like, like hellfire. A lot, a lot busier than it was last year. Well, December is always a key time too. Like, uh, you know, to buy, to not to buy. <laughs> well, I'm saying it's a key time. Like, you wouldn't want to sell because you want. So Charles is telling about his listings that six days he has ten offers. When you list mid December, what do we got coming up? We got Christmas. We got holiday break for kids. Hanukkah. New Year's Eve, Hanukkah. People are not out there saying, I'm going to spend my entire week, days, you know, I'm planning for the holiday, planning for the break. You know, they're going on, going away to family trips with family. So it, it, you lose out on some of your potential buyers too. And that's, yeah. that's my common people uh, position because, you know, honestly, on Christmas time, I don't think you're going to allow me in your house mm -hmm. to go look at it, or, nor do I want to be there. No. Yeah, I mean, that that was always a standpoint. It used to be sell in the spring and summer. Now it's busy. It's busy from January to November now. December is really the only month I say don't to li don't list. Um, and also if it's a holiday weekend, like if it's Easter on Sunday. Memorial Day. Memorial Day or 4th of July, something along those lines because people are vacationing. They're gone. They're not looking at your house. Um, do you ever get cranky when you have yes. to do like an open house? on a beautiful, gorgeous weekend where everybody is out. 
hanging around, jet skiing. Going to the Bills. Oh, going to the Bills game. That's that's always fun. I'm I'm talking to the agents. I'm like, hey, you want to go to the Bills game? I got an open house. Mm-hmm. I can't go. <laughs> well, you don't host open houses during football season on Sunday. Well, that's you. Yeah. I, I see it all the time on Facebook, and, they're you know, I'm always getting, looking. They're not getting traffic. That's the crazy thing, man. You know, I'd rather host one Wednesday 5 to 7 or Saturday 1 to 3 over Sunday. To answer your question, do I get cranky? No, because I'm used to it by now. I work weekends, man. I really do try and take Sundays off um, for the most part, but this Sunday I'm showing four houses right now. You know, sometimes you just can't get past it. Um, we have another listing going live today. I think that's what happens when you own a business, right? Yeah, it, for real. Uh, we have a listing going live today in Kenmore that we're, we're hosting an open house Sunday. I'm not hosting it. One of my agents is, thank God, but it's his listing anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I have three listings going live between Monday and Tuesday. We're going to have a couple open houses this weekend. Uh, I probably will have to host one on Sunday. So, you know, it, it just comes with the territory. You know, you don't get your real estate license if you don't want to work on the weekends. So this this one is from my intern who can't be here today, but what's the highest over asking you've you've gotten in the last per- like, percentage wise or dollar wise? I, I don't know. That's a good good question. What, what what can you give us percentage or dollar? I feel like ninety percent of my listings all went over asking price. Um, I think my <laughs> mic drop. Mic drop. Mic I think I think my. Uh, uh, most recently, and I, it's under contract, so I can't tell you how high it went over. But you know, my one on Walnut went pretty high over, and uh, that was that was a big one. I had um, shoot. Man. Yeah, but you didn't know it, but I, I was secretly watching that one. Were you? Yeah. A lot of people were. One of my one of my clients is like, "How come you didn't give me the heads up on that one?" And I'm like, "Well, because my clients didn't want to do a private deal with you because you need concessions and." you can only go up to 150,000. You know, there was a slight when when you list a house on the market, you're opening up opening it up to every realtor in Western New York, every website that you could possibly put it on, Zillow, realtor.com, Trulia, homes.com, homesnap, every brokerage website. You're getting you're you're getting the listing out to every single buyer. It got me a buyer from Connecticut who's like, "Oh wow. $135,000 house. I've never seen that in my life in New England." So, they were willing to offer us a lot of money for the house to sell to them. All right, I got well, another one. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was, you know, so I, the one thing I did want to explain, because Charles, he's the agent on these, and he's closing millions of dollars in transactions a year, is, uh, you, you know, it's always funny on the legal side when we get a buyer who is from a different state. And there's essentially two, kind of, two kinds of areas. One's called, a, we, we call it a title state. And the other one is an attorney state. So a title state is agents do everything. They get under contract, kick it to the bank, and then it gets over to a title company, and the title company just does everything. One person that you guys both split the fee on, the buyer and the seller, or you can negotiate who pays it. Here, we're an attorney state, and, you know, when attorneys get involved, it just slows everything down. You guys are so slow. We, the, our profession sucks. <laughs> um, but we have one attorney who has to do title searches and a survey and tax order, and then it goes to the buyer's attorney who is the looking at, you know, doing a title exam, seeing if the title's clear, and then we have to send it to the bank attorney for their approval. And, and I think we have about 10 cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. But... Uh, that, so that's always something that people don't recognize when they're coming from down south, Florida, Louisiana, and they're like, why is there 16 attorneys involved? 
Uh, but do you uh, have been doing this for a while. What attorney do you use? I like to use the Ramos and Ramos team, Joshua and Christina Ramos. Well, it's really just Chris. It's really just Christina, and she is on point. I never wait more than, I would say, 12 hours for an answer from her. Um, she just makes sure things happen. She educates me and my agents when something pops up that we just don't know. Um, she is just, it, it's tough. I've worked with a lot of different attorneys. Buyers and sellers have the right to elect their own attorney. Um, so when they elect their own attorney, I get some pretty bad ones. I'm um, not going to use any names. And it just, it makes me appreciate. No, we want, we want names. You want names? No. It makes me appreciate Christina so much and obviously there's other lawyers that my clients have used that also do a great job um, but I, I wouldn't refer my business to anyone but Ramos or Ramos if my buyer or seller asks for my recommendation oh you didn't have to say that oh John it's all about the marketing and I know you're the head of marketing exactly so. I had to pay him a couple bucks for that nice so, all right well I got something <laughs> Here, here's something now it might not be as bad as it used to be but um, do realtors still not like Zillow you know, like, because I mean, like the Zestimates, they were screwing things up for a while. Zestimate is, it's just a calculation of every house in your neighborhood that's sold around you. It's not a true value of your home. People don't like Zillow because Zillow essentially was basically taking people's information from their listings and selling it to buyer's agents to get buyer leads. Mm. So listing agents used to market their properties and try and, I call it double-ending the deal where they make the entire commission on it. Um, Zillow put the kaputs on that and offered it to offered buyer's agents to advertise with them and get buyer leads for those properties, depending upon what neighborhoods they they uh, mm. they invest in because you obviously you got to pay for it. But it's a benefit to that method, you know, one, I always like it when there's two separate agents because if there's an issue, you can both fight against each other and represent your client as opposed to I'm double-ending it. I let the attorneys handle it. Agreed. You know, like they come to us, well, we have an inspection issue. Here's the issue. I'm not an agent. I don't I don't value homes and damages and costs. That's not my job. Uh, otherwise, I'd be getting commissions. You know, that's – but – I love the two model system and we can't talk bad about Zillow anyways because now they're on the ML and you can't talk, you know, so. Oh, I didn't know that. They are licensed brokers and they they were doing, they were buying houses and they were marketing them and doing all that and uh, they stopped because they realized that it's it's a totally different beast and they just want to stick to what they're good at, which is basically marketing a home. Helping, helping, I like it, it's a tool. Everybody uses Zillow. It's rare that someone comes to me, Trulia is also owned by Zillow. You know, I see people using Trulia. It's rare that someone comes to me and, and they're using Realtor.com strictly, Homesnap.com. They're all using Zillow. So it's a great tool uh, for buyers. You know, we used to have to print out MLS sheets and we have a binder full of listings that we'd have to go through. Now we just email people listings and, and copy and paste the but, link. But that's, not on, but that's not on Zillow. You're using the ML for that, which yeah. is the multiple listing service. So, like, with that, you put the criteria and it emails someone. But you're, so I just want to make sure, like, you're not emailing Zillow right. links. Sometimes I'll copy and paste the Zillow link of a house, you know, especially if it's, like, a for sale by owner or something yeah. like that. Because um, it's not on the ML. Which, if you're not, if you're, and it just blows my mind for sale by owners because you're basically cutting out 90% of the market. And now on Zillow, if you go on there, uh, John, I don't know tabs. if you know this. They switched it up. Like if you search for a house, the Fizbos for sale by owners they don't pop up anymore. Oh. They they actually hide them to some extent, 
where it says agent listings, and then you go to this little tab, other listings, and those are the for sale by owners. And most people are just looking at the first page. Like, yeah. pe- you know, if you don't find what you want in five seconds, you're on to the next thing, you know? So it, it, it's, it, it you happened. lose half the market. It happened to me recently. I had a I had a for sale by owner. They were referred to me by a friend. They they listed their house on Zillow for sale by owner, and they had zero showings, zero interest. And I sat down with them. They're like, "Why?" I'm like, "Well, because Zillow created two tabs now. Like if it, the house was in Barker, New York. So if you look in Barker, New York, you're not seeing that listing right away. So I, I showed them that, and I'm like, "Listen, you only put your house on Zillow too." When I list a house for you, it goes on 15 different websites. I have a lot of exposure. I've worked with a lot of different real estate agents in Western New York. They know when I list a house. They know it's priced right or, you know, they, they, one know of they those, can easily work with me. One of the things is why I always recommend using an agent because it's all about getting more buyers. The more buyers, the more money you make selling. Um, one of the benefits is you list with an agent they put it in the multiple listing service, then it'll go on Zillow. But what happens is you put in the criteria of the home, three bedroom, two and a half bath, two car garage. Hey, there's 2000 other agents in the area. And they say automatically they have a trigger in for client X, you know, and when client X get, when any home pops in client X's like range, it'll get sent to her. So as soon as Charles puts it in, he now has access to 2,000 other agents and all of their buyers, and it goes directly right away in the ML. Emails kick out to everybody, you know, these potential buyers. I think my wife and I, when we were looking, we were getting emails three times a day when anytime there was a listing. So like, we're let's say we're listing with this real estate office, but a completely other one on the other side of town lists a house that's in our criteria. Our agent would send us an email within five seconds, and now we're both looking at, oh, look at this house on Sycamore. It's amazing. Yep. You know, and call up the agent, hey, we want to look at it. So going for sale by owner, you don't have access to that. And because of that, less buyers means, you know, supply and demand. If you have less people who demand your house, you're going to get less money. And I've, and I, I know one deal that I think you and I worked on, um, it was a lower end home, like price wise, it was at 120. Charles puts it on the market. All of a sudden he gets 150. That's what it closed for. So even after commissions, this, yeah, after commissions, (laughs) this seller walked with another 20 something thousand dollars because he used an agent and everyone's always afraid. Oh, I'll get the same price. I don't want to pay the commission. No, you won't get the same price. You're going to get a heck of a lot more. You might even net a heck of a lot more after commissions. And so we, th- I think it's always as attorneys, if we get a for sale by owner listing contract that comes by, we recommend talking to an agent, mm-hmm. you know, just to get their valuation of it before we approve it. Just because if they come down and say, I think you're getting undersold by 80 grand, my commission's going to be 12 grand on this thing. I'll net you another 60, 70 grand. I'd rather do that because that's part of us doing a good job for our clients. Absolutely. Nice. And you know, um, I don't usually use Zillow or Realtor.com or whatever. I go to AvantRealty.com, and that's where I search for all of my homes. So Charles has all your info? Charles has all of my info. Well, good thing he's a trustworthy guy. He knows what I'm looking for. I do. I have some spammer emailing me, though, uh, off your profile, and I've been sending you screenshots. 
you know, yeah. so. I can't help it. Once they get your address, <laughs> it's like, am I supposed to go over there and take their, the uh, Charles's address? <laughs> like, oh, excuse me, spammer. I'm sorry that you accidentally got his address, but you're going to have to give it back. <laughs> I probably just, I, I was thinking about it. I'll probably just delete your profile and then redo it and set, set you all back up. But yeah, I mean, my, my website links directly to the MLS and, you know, every listing that's for sale, that's a thing. Like I, I find my buyers the house that they want. So if there's a house that's for sale in Western New York, I'm, I'm going to find it for them. And it's usually on my website because it's linked to the MLS. So commercial in, in with the benefit is the commercial too, unlike Zillow, where if you want to just take a look at like a mixed use, it might not be on there unless it's listed as residential. Yep. Uh, but commercial mixed use, you don't get it on there. You don't? Cause, no, because some people want, hey, I want a storefront below, and then I'll subsidize it by putting some apartments above. Sometimes that doesn't pop up, pop up on the ML. Hmm. And some people, or don't on realize, Zillow. some people don't realize sometimes you can use first-time homebuyer financing, uh, you know, low, payment conven- low down payment conventional loans on buying commercial properties as long as the residential is more than 50% of hmm. the building. So... You know, I, I bought a, a commercial property myself, and everyone's like, I can't I can't find anything that fits my family. I'm like, I got 5,000 square feet. It's great, you know, and it's all financeable. It's, it's a nice building, so, yeah. I've I, I seen it, and I think your daughter went up to me and said, there's so many toilets. <laughs> you know, what I was thinking is, you know, your office is right below, right? Yeah. So can you do, like, a fireman's pole? You know, it's not a bad idea, and I didn't even think about that. I know. The kids would love it. Dude, that is I would love that. I would be hanging out at your office if there's a fireman's pole. Yeah. There is a little spot for Josh Ramos in the corner that I set up for you. Is it under the stairs like a Harry Potter room? Because I'm down with that. It should. It'll probably be next to the fireman pole. I'm going as long as, as long as there's a fireman pole. <laughs> nice. It'll be from my bedroom. I hear my bedroom's over top of the, of the storefront. For your daughter, there's so much room for activities, man. There is. Nice, nice. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate you guys hanging out with me, talking real estate for uh, for the afternoon. So uh, I want to thank Charles Glander from Avant Realty again. The founding broker of Avant Realty. Founding broker. That's awesome. You know, next time we, we talk, I'll have to get into what's the difference between like real estate people, like all different, like a real estate person, a realtor, uh, you know, a broker, you know. I still barely know. There's so many different classifications. <laughs> Is it realtor or realtor? It's re- it's realtor. <laughs> people get very upset when you say realtor. I hear it all the time. I, I need to realtor. get a realtor. A realtor. I, I still say realtor. Real, uh, realtor. But realtor, that's, <laughs> ac- that's actually a, most people know, that's actually like a trademark name by it that's is. owned by uh the National Association of Realtors. Yeah, they own that, so that's they were for a while causing a stink for anyone who put realtor in their name, like Avant Realtors. They didn't like that. Yeah, because they own the trademark on the word realtors. I Why they get rid of watching. real estate? We can't even put real estate after our name anymore. Well, because your name's Charles Glander. Oh, Charles Glander Real Estate. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Josh, for for hanging out with us. Josh yeah. from Ramos from Ramos and Ramos. And again, I am John Lavelle from Ramos and Ramos. And this was the Buffalo Legal Podcast. All right. Take care.